0: So last week, I told you that I was combining two of the texts, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 5 through 12, the remaining part of chapter 1. And I told you that I was doing that because if I was going to preach on verses 1 through 4, I would probably preach the shortest sermon I've ever preached. Little did I know that I would end up preaching one of the longest sermons I ever preached so that you are back here today is um, it's kudos to you (laughs) grace and peace to you Um, you returned for more Um, it looks like some had their fill but we're glad that you are here and we are grateful for the opportunity to take a closer look at this beautiful book this beautiful letter it's really as I said last week it's a beautiful sermon that this writer this author of Hebrews preaches to us as he preached it to the house church or house churches that he sent it to back in the first century so What we have in chapter 2 now today that we're looking at here is a dividing line, a division. We as humans are split by this dividing line straight across the middle. And the question is not, will we be divided? The question is, what will we see and what will we hear? What will we see and what will we hear? I've always been really intrigued with outer space. You know, my my wife and I have a lot of common interests, but there are some things we don't have any interest in. For instance, she dreamed for years, for decades, of jumping out of an airplane and parachuting, which she got to do a few years ago. Now, for me, I had no interest in that. I mean, why... Why would you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? My thing that I would like to do that she has no interest in is go to outer space. I have always dreamed of going above what they call the Carmen line, the line of the atmosphere that divides the atmosphere from the earth to the outer space. And once you go beyond that line, you get particular kind of wings. You are called an astronaut. As a matter of fact, the uh, flight that went up this past week with uh, Mr. Branson and his pat- compatriots um, technically didn't qualify as being an astronaut. Because they didn't cross the Karman line. They got up to the Karman line, but they didn't cross it. So this line becomes critically important for those of us who want to explore outer space. Because until we go beyond that line, we can't really say that we have experienced it. And when we experience it, it is it is not like a a very calm and soothing experience. It is filled with heat and violent action and reverberations, and physically it changes you, and you get sick, I mean really sick. But then, once you get through it, and it's like a whole new world. You see, that's what I dream of. As I thought of that uh, experience, I was thinking of it as I was reading this text for today. Because one of the things that the author of Hebrews helps us to see is that we have a Karman line, a dividing line in the context of our Christian faith as well. If you go beyond the Karman line, you get to see things from a whole new perspective. You get to see the earth as a blue marble. (laughs) You get to see the sphere of the earth. You get to see the moon and the planets, and the sun, all from a different perspective. You get to see the universe from a different perspective. And if you don't go beyond the Kármán line, if you remain underneath that dividing line, all that we can see is that which we can see physically. See, the author of Hebrews is guiding us along this dividing line because in his perspective, heaven sits above that dividing line. Heaven is above it. And earth sits below the line. And when you take a look at what you can see, you can't see above the line. You cannot see heaven. And when you look below the line, what you see is earth and all of its limitations and even its brokenness. And when we look at the sun, Jesus, from this perspective, our author tells us, above the line, the sun is exalted. First, we had in those first four verses of of chapter one, this beautiful illustration of, of the sun in a sense, the preexistent form of the sun. And then we also get towards the end of chapter 1, the exaltation of the sun. But in chapter 2, the sun comes below the Carmen line. He comes to earth, and we get to see him as he is incarnated, as he is experiencing this life. Of humanity you see he was here briefly and what we saw was his suffering and his death but now we are told that he is exalted and that we should be able to place our trust in that but what if we don't you see, it's the very hiddenness of God that threatens our hope. It's the unseen glory of God that is a danger to our steadfast faith. We can all see the, humil- the humiliation of Jesus as he goes to the cross. We can all clearly see his death by crucifixion and the shame that it brought upon him. And his followers what we cannot see is Jesus glorified by his death what we cannot see is how Jesus brings us new life through his death we are blind to these things above above the dividing line the things of heaven we cannot see heaven coming down to earth. But that is precisely what God does through his Son in Jesus Christ. We cannot see the Son's enemies being placed as a footstool underneath his feet. His enemies of oppression and hatred and deceit and death But we can hear it, we can hear it, and what we can hear is a word from God, spoken by God. We can hear the very first word that is spoken to us this morning in the reading that Larry read, and that word begins with this one word, danger. That is why the theme for today is Danger New Covenant. This is a warning, and it reminded me with my love for space of one of those after-school shows that I used to watch, the reruns of Lost in Space. Do you remember? Danger, Will Robinson, danger. I think Mary has it. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. No, Will Robinson. Danger. <laughs> so that's the first word. That is the word that we hear. Prosecco is the, is the Greek word. Now, for some of you, you may be confused and be thinking that I'm talking about a bottle of bubbly. Um, that's not the Prosecco that I'm talking about. This Prosecco is a warning. It's be alert, be aware, be on guard because there is danger around. So to see this problem of division and dividing lines is that we end up seeing only what we see, what we can see. The writer is trying to make clear to us that there is danger ahead. But how do we prepare for that danger if we cannot see it? So while heaven may seem like a really great thing if we haven't been there we can't say that we're an astronaut and Hebrews is telling us since we can only see in part we can only see a little bit we've maybe had some glimpses of heaven since we can only see a little bit pay attention to what is spoken It's not what you see, it's what you hear. And so Hebrews is reminding us to pay attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. I prided myself on being a sailor when I was growing up. My parents sent us to camp, a Christian camp, and One of the things that they taught us to do was to sail. We sailed on little sailboats, uh, little sunfish and sailfish sailboats. And then they took us out and taught us how to team sail a a larger boat with a sail and jib. And uh, it was one of my great joys when my parents gave my brothers and me for Christmas a sailboat. It was a little sunfish. And uh, spent many summers on the lake with that little sailboat. And one of the pieces of indoctrination of dating me was Patty had to go out on the sailboat and get dunked. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the things that I prided myself on was that I could jump on a little sunfish or sailfish at any time and go wherever I wanted. And that was true, except that there was a period of time when I went to seminary and beyond when we got married and started having kids, I didn't sail anymore. And it had been years, maybe 15 years, and we were um, blessed to be on a, on a little vacation with Patty's family. And uh, at this place they had sailboats, and so I confidently told everyone I was gonna take them out on the sailboat <laughs> the only problem was I forgot the dagger board. Now, if you don't know what the dagger board is, that's the board that goes down through the center of the boat that keeps you from drifting. And so I had the sails up, I had the rudder going, and we were going all kinds of crazy places because I had forgotten the dagger board. We were drifting we were even though we were being powered by the by the wind, we were drifting. And so what the author of Hebrews is telling us is is to be aware to, to, to there's danger ahead, and that we should pay attention, pay attention to what is being spoken so that we can hear the word from God, and not lose. Our moorings and drift away as much as i would love to be in outer space there is danger there too if you go for a spacewalk and you become untethered from your spacecraft you could end up floating away for the rest of your short life So it's important for us to be anchored, to have that foundation. And how do we remain anchored? By regularly hearing the word of Christ proclaimed. Now, this is not an isolated um, issue from the first century. I think that this book of Hebrews speaks to us today as clearly as it spoke to those early Christians. Our contexts are certainly different, but the word remains the same for us. There is danger. We can become unmoored. We can drift, and we can neglect the gift that we have been given. So how do we call congregations to live faithful Christian lives? Holding, Holding on to their faith. How do we do that? In this early church, the community had grown lax in their commitment to Christ. Many from the community were neglecting the Christian message from worship. And the temptation was there, as it is today. The temptation is to just not address it. Just let it go but the author of Hebrews cannot do that. He addresses it. If the community is drifting off course, he wants them to be aware of the danger. But what he does is interesting. Because he doesn't become a judgmental, um, coercive type of preacher that condemns everyone because they have neglected the word of God he does something interesting he uses the plural instead of the singular he's not saying you he's saying we he places himself right in the center of the flock and he addresses the whole congregation, as if he is addressing himself. This is a preacher who stands at the center and directs this warning to himself. Now, many of these Christians were Jewish Christians, and so they knew the Torah. And the next thing that the author does is he hearkens back to the tradition of their scripture. He says to them, you know that Moses gave you the Torah from God as it was mediated to you by angels. I'm not going to go into that part. That's going to be part of the Bible study this week or the discussion study. So you can uh, take a look at that on your own. But interesting that he talks about how the angels mediated The Torah to Moses and in that context then this is what he says if God punished the Israelites when they disregarded the the teachings of the Torah what might God do to us if we reject or neglect the teachings of Christ because there were always consequences to bad behavior for Israel Just as for many of us, there are consequences for bad behavior of our children and for us even as adults. And so as we listen to this word, what he seems to be speaking to us is that we are being warned that our neglect could lead to something even worse he asks rhetorically in a sense would we really want to forego a salvation as great as this one this heavenly message has been spoken to all people so that we might hear what he's saying is at first the message came from Jesus himself and Jesus didn't just give the message he lived the message he proclaimed it he spoke it he taught it he preached it and then he enacted it by going to the cross and by suffering and dying and on the third day being raised again from the dead. What we see then is that the apostles pick it up from Jesus. And those witnesses, Scripture tell us at one point 500 witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And so they begin to tell us about the life of Jesus. And the purpose of Jesus. And how we can continue to live in faith. Because these witnesses were first hand witnesses of Jesus. Of his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. They were there. And they can speak fluently of it. And if that wasn't enough. Then the writer tells us. And then God added his signs and wonders to give us a glimpse of heaven. Signs and wonders goes back to the Exodus story again. That is where that reference comes from. And so when you see the reference in the New Testament of signs and wonders, it's not a new reference. The miracles that Jesus was doing weren't new. Miracles were being done before that by Moses, by other prophets, and so what What the author is telling us is that these signs and wonders that were a part of the exodus are now a part of Jesus' life. And if we can trust the signs and wonders for the exodus, we can trust the signs and wonders for Jesus' life. See the, the point that he's making here. What we are hearing ultimately in this is that there is a highest office. Would you like to know what the highest office is in the church? It's not the office of pastor. It's not the office of priest. It's not the office of bishop or deacon. The highest office in the Christian faith is that of the hearer. The one who hears the message. Because the focus is not on the office The focus is on the hearer. And that is what we are being called back to hear the message once again. And if we've lost faith in the message, we can regather that faith, that trust, because it came from Jesus, and it came from the witnesses, and it comes from the signs and the wonders, and it comes from God, and it comes for you and for me. And this is the message, that we do see Jesus, we do see Jesus who for a little while was made lower than the angels, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Now let me read this in our text here from, from Hebrews 2 this morning. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, a son of man that you should care for him? Yet you make them only a little lower than the angels and crown them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. This is, this is being quoted from Psalm 8. So if you go to Psalm 8, what you hear is a similar uh, reference in verses 3 through 7. When I look at the night sky and see the works of your fingers... The moon and the stars you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting things, all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds, all the wild animals, the birds of the sky. Now, the author does something really interesting here. What he does is he makes a common um, comparison. And to be honest, our translations by and large miss it. Because what he has said in Hebrews 3 is this. I'm sorry, Hebrews 2. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou carest for him? Thou didst make him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, this is from my old RSV Bible that I used in seminary I used it it's taped because the binding was tearing apart and um, so we have a new translation the NRSV the NIV the NLT these are all newer translations and I applaud the work that they do and one of the things that they did which I think was necessary and helpful was they updated the scriptures in relationship to being more inclusive. The dilemma in this particular text is that Psalm 8 in the Hebrew is actually singular. Let's take a look at how it reads here. It sounds just like what I read from this Bible in Hebrews. Psalm 8 uh, verse, verse 3. O oh Lord my God, if I have done this, uh, nope, that's Psalm 7, sorry, I <laughs> didn't think that sounded right. Here we go. When I look at the heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established, what is man, singular, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him little less than God, and dost crown him with glory and honor. Now this man is a reference to humanity but we don't really get that in the translations. And what the author of Hebrews is doing is he is making a a reference that Jesus Christ is now that representation of humanity. So it's not a proof text to say this is the Messiah. What it is, it's a text that says that this man, this individual, came in order that he might place himself as a representative for all people, for all humanity. He is interpreting Jesus' role as the representative of humanity that goes to the cross. He is interpreting Jesus' role as the representative of humanity who suffers and dies on the cross for the sins of humanity. He is representing this role of humanity so that as he is resurrected from the dead he may have a new life humanity may have a new life and so we cannot see this yet because it is of heaven but what the writer is trying to tell us is that Jesus is the representation of that new creation that new humanity and that if we neglect Jesus if we just say, ah, you know, he w- we didn't see him come back. Or we waited a long time, we just got tired. Or, you know, business came along and I took that opportunity. You know, th- there, there are so many different rationales, different reasons that we can use for saying that Jesus just isn't necessary. But what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus Christ is essential. He is the centerpiece. The distinction between what we see with our eyes and what we see by faith is clearly on trial. Look around you. Look at the world around you. Look at our own nation. It hardly seems like Jesus is calling the shots. Does it? God really doesn't look like the overseer who has things under control. And the sun seems to be humiliated and shamed to death while chaos reigns. That is what we see. Because we are looking below that line. We are looking at the earth. And what we see is the brokenness and the sin and the injustice. But the writer then says something else that buoys us with hope. He says, you do see one thing. In verse 9, He says, if I can get my eyes to focus, what we do see is Jesus, who was given a position, a role, if you will, a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And that is why Jesus is essential here. We cannot see everything. And so we must focus on our hearing. Paul writes about this in Romans 10, verses 13 through 17, when he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. we need to focus on the hearing. We need to listen. Not to all the noise around us. We need to listen to the word of God. Just like the Carmen line separates the earth's atmosphere from outer space, 62 miles up, so what we see and what we hear is separated by a dividing line, a dividing line of the Christian faith. And that faith comes to us. It comes to us in worship. It's revealed to us in Scripture and in prayer. And so we are called, we are forewarned and called to listen, to hear the promise that Jesus Christ came to represent you and me so that we might focus on our hearing. For faith comes by hearing. My question typically would be, are you ready to listen? But that's not the question I want to ask this morning. The question I want to ask is this. Are we Are we ready to listen? Amen.